we are going to be opening our Bibles. And so if you need a Bible, will you please raise your hand and the ushers will pass a Bible out to you. I'm going to be reading from the New Living. Um, I know how many uh, King, uh, New King James people in the room. What about ESV and NASB? Okay, totally cool. How many kind of like NIVers? Yes, wonderful. How many like New Living-ish? Some of those. Here's the deal. Why do I read from the New Living? I don't actually study so much from the New Living. I read from the New Living because I want every person in this room, no matter what their background is and whether this is their first time in church, to understand the words that I'm reading. That's it, okay? Um, But here's the amazing thing, freedom of choice. You can bring whatever Bible you want to bring, and you can read through whatever words and translation you would like to. Um, And there's that. Um, Pete, did you just say that because you got a lot of complaints? No, it's just because I'm insecure, and I think you're thinking something, so I just decided to beat you to the punch. Hey, real quick, um, our five roots of connection. I want to kind of go over some of these uh, whenever we get a chance. The idea here is this has nothing to do with, or nothing directly to do with salvation. This isn't how to get to heaven. This isn't how to become a good Christian. This is the belief that God has put, his, it's his desire that each one of us are part of a family, a church family. Because in that family, we grow. In that family, we get bothered. Who here has ever been offended or bothered while you were here at City Harvest? Maybe someone took your seat. Maybe someone didn't look at you. Maybe you went to say hi to someone and they ignored you. Maybe someone stood you up for coffee. Someone didn't text you back. Come on, there was more people than that. How many of you have ever been offended with me? Come on, get them up there, folks. Yes, amen, hallelujah. Okay, God puts us in a family because from that place of family, he challenges us. And because things take place and He uses one another to challenge our perspective. He also uses when we get bothered by one another to challenge our perspective. And so family is important. And with this, we have being a self-feeder. That's an important thing. Sunday celebration services, community life, serving, and tithing. I want to focus on Sunday celebration services. It is important for us to come together. And I say that just that we would never view showing up on a Sunday as something we do when it's convenient or when it happens to fit in at the end of our week. But we would see that this is how we begin our week. I don't know what calendar you choose to look at and when you set or on your iPhone or your smartphone, whether you put Sunday as following after Saturday and it's at the end of it or you say that your week starts with Sunday. But the idea is We gather together because here, when we're with each other, we come in and it helps us with our perspective that right at the beginning, we say, Lord, as I go into this next week, I want to put you first. God, I want to set aside my own time. I want to set aside my own energy and my own preferences to say, no, you are going to be the king of my heart. No, you are going to be the one that I'm going to glorify. And you know what, God, I'm going to come. I don't know what they're going to talk about. I don't know what they're going to sing. I don't know who I'm going to sit next to. I don't know whether or not I'm going to get prayer or not. But Lord, I ask that you would challenge me, that as I leave, you would prepare me for the week that's coming ahead. And so that we would view coming together as not something we do 
when the week we just went through was convenient for us, but we do it as a principle to help us launch us into the next week so that we can be all that God wants us to be during that time. Come on. It's good. Okay. We are going to be opening up our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We are going to be looking at portions of Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. If you haven't been here in a while or this is your first time, first let me say welcome. I guess I should also introduce myself. Pardon me for being rude. My name is Peter. Um, and we are going to be looking at, at uh, Acts chapter 8 and 9. There's two questions that are up here. Questions to consider, things to think about as we go through these. Number one is, is God's grace and forgiveness too good for you? Is his grace and his forgiveness too good for you? Maybe you think you've done too much. You've messed up too much for his grace and for his forgiveness. Other one is, is God's grace and forgiveness too good for those that have hurt you? Every one of us in this room has been hurt by somebody. Actually, a lot of people. Some of those wounds go extremely, extremely deep. But if we believe, one, that his grace and forgiveness is too good for us, then it's definitely we can't extend it to others if we haven't received it for ourselves. But a lot of us are trying to receive it for ourselves, but we look at others and we think, ah, I think you're a lost cause. I think, you know, there's cars that are lemons, and I think in life you are a lemon. And it doesn't matter how much body work we try to do, how much we, how many, you know, transmissions we change, how many engines we change, you're never going to make it. So thinking through those things as we go into this. Going back a little bit in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of it, you have Stephen who um, a little bit earlier, the, the disciples that had become the apostles of the early church uh, needed some help caring for people, feeding um, different people. And so they grabbed seven different um, men that uh, walked in wisdom and walked in the power of Holy Spirit. One of these men was Stephen. He gets pulled aside and kind of comes into court and he starts going through the gospel and, and going through prophecies of early on and, and saying, listen, all these prophets came and prophesied that the Messiah was coming and you rejected every single word that they said. And even now, you, you are the ones that killed him. And he's challenging them and, and really getting in their face on it and just declaring the truth. In chapter 7, verse 54, it says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats they didn't want to, if you're throwing a, a good stone, you don't want to, you want to make sure you don't have a tight jacket on. You want to make sure you can move your shoulders. So they took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, 
Man, this goes to that second question. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. He knew God's grace and God's forgiveness was enough for them. Verse 1 of chapter 8, Saul, the one that they were throwing their jackets at, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So here, setting the stage, the early church is being launched. They're adding new leaders to it. These leaders are being bold in declaring who Jesus is, what Jesus did, the reaction that the Jewish leaders had, their responsibility in it, and there begins to be persecution. If we look at, look at um, Acts chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 8, verse 2, it says a great wave of perse persecution began that day. So something kind of got initiated that day. There was great boldness that had been building up. But here in this moment, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. It's an interesting thing about persecution. None of us in this room enjoy persecution. If you do, prayer teams will be up at the end of the service, and we would like to pray for you. It's not something that we enjoy. None of us want to be gossiped about. None of us want to be falsely accused for something that we didn't do, but people are spreading rumors that we actually did it. None of us want to be judged by the color of our skin. None of us want to be judged by the way we talk, the way we look. None of us want to be judged by whether we appear to be intelligent and we get good grades in school or not. All sorts of, or, or our, um, how much money we have and the type of car we drive or the type of the, the structure that we call home, none of us want to be judged by it. We don't want to be judged by our faith. But you know, God uses persecution to further his kingdom many times. And one thing that's good for us to do when persecution comes, and it doesn't mean it's all good, and I, I do believe God will use it, but that doesn't mean that he just loves seeing you go through pain. But there is something where if we slow down and say, Lord, what do you want to do in me in this? What can I learn from it? This is a horrible situation that I'm just going to say is unfair. And I hope you never let me go through this again. But while I'm in it, what can I learn? What can you teach me? Here we have the early church coming together and it's growing and there's all these salvations and all these opportunities. The gospel's spreading but they're all kind of centered in one area. And through this persecution, it sent believers to other places. It actually helped spread the gospel. You know, because just like the early church, you and I are the same way. We all have a magnetic pull to comfort. Every one of us in this room, we are naturally pulled into a place of comfort. We want to be comfortable. 
But to truly be Jesus' disciples, which every single one of us is called to be, he's going to pull us into discomfort. Not because he wants us to be miserable, but because he wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to move beyond ourselves and our own feelings and our own emotions and step into what he's called you to do. It might seem way bigger. It might seem fearful. It might seem impossible, but he's saying, get up, step forward into the discomfort and know that I am with you and I will walk with you. So they were scattered, but God used the scattering. Chapter 8, verse 5 through 8, Philip. Now, Philip is another one of the seven, along with Stephen, that were kind of like deacons, that were brought to kind of be like care pastors, is what we would call them here at City Harvest. They, they obviously weren't up on their lingo back then and hadn't moved as forward as we did and didn't know that's what they were supposed to call them, but care pastors, the care team, and that's what these guys were. So Philip, for example went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. One of the things we're looking at as we call out for his kingdom to come and his will to be done means that we're not just looking for what we feel comfortable with, our kingdom and our will. There are a lot of things in scriptures, especially in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, that, the, that Jesus did, Holy Spirit put power into the early church to do things that you and I are slightly uncomfortable with. When I start reading about demons coming out and people screaming, I don't know if you've ever been in a service where that happens. There are people that will walk out and say, I'm never going to a church like that again. There are other people that are just paralyzed with what's actually happening. Other people grab pots and pans and start banging them together to drive it out. Different reactions take place. But here's the deal. There is an evil force, if you want to say that out there. There is something that comes and attacks. It's been interesting to see, tomorrow and I, I kind of point to my, this way a little bit, because I was in my brain initiating, I was talking about tomorrow. As we push into this, his kingdom come and his will be done, it has been a little bit crazy, but I guess we should have been wiser and it should make total sense that as we say, Lord, we want to surrender all that we are and we want to take up all that you are, that things start to come out of each one of us. All of a sudden, there is a lot more, I'm going to say sin, that's being coming out. I don't think it's that you and I are just now choosing to make worse mistakes. I think it's that Holy Spirit is coming and bringing conviction and saying, that's been in you long enough. Let's bring it out. You believed those lies long enough. I want to settle that. You've been dealing with that long enough. Let's bring it out. That you have kept hidden, and shame has devoured you long enough. Let's bring it out and confess it and let freedom reign. Because God wants us to walk in a place 
where we're surrendered to him and we can't have these things in our way. So as a church, what we're going to have to be willing to do as a church family is know that sometimes we're going to get uncomfortable. There's the uncomfortability of what Jesus is asking us to do. There's also going to sometimes be the uncomfortability that something a little weird might take place. What I want you to know, though, is we don't celebrate weird because it's weird. We're not going to say that weird means God is here. But what we are going to say is that if God wants to free something of something that has bound them up, then let freedom come. What we will say is that if there are people that have been that are just wrapped up in an illness, instead of saying, I don't want to call them forward and pray for them, because what if no one gets healed? Then what are people going to think of me as a leader? What are people going to think of us as a church? We got to risk it and say, I don't care what they think about me as a leader. I don't care what they think about us as a church. It's our job to pray and to believe. That's all we're asked to do is to step out and do it. And so we have to have decide that we're not going to let our feelings of whether we feel comfortable or not be the driving force. And again, please hear me out. I'm not saying let's just be weird to be weird. Let's just do things so that then we feel like something's happening. On the other hand, if God wants to do something, let's not hold back from it because we're a little scared of it. Or we wonder what people are going to think. Acts chapter 8 verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. We are a church family that believes in the Holy Spirit. Not just as this thing that kind of floats around or somehow is part of the Trinity. But as something that comes and gives us the power we need to, be, to do what God has asked us to do. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us. So again with this, we want to walk in the tension between not, we've all heard of maybe different places where they get a little weird with something like the Holy Spirit. And it becomes a club or it comes kind of cliquish. Or it's something that's like a bragging right. That's not what we're trying to do. On the other hand, we don't want to, because of that, swing the pendulum so far the other way that we push it away. But as we talk about Holy Spirit, one of the things I want to make sure you know is that whether you feel like you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not does not determine whether or not you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to rest assured that if you have said, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be the ruler of my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to turn from my selfish ways and I want to follow you. Your salvation is in that faith that you believe he died for your sins, that he took your penalty. That asking the Holy Spirit to baptize you with power 
is separate from that. All right, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, you guys remember Saul? He's the one that as they were getting ready to stone Stephen, they took off their coats and they gave them to Saul and he's sitting there holding them. He's the one that he was going around and trying to bring this persecution. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way be found there. What is the way? Those that were following Jesus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. This is a part that goes to this first question. Is God's grace and forgiveness too good for you? Looking at this, knowing who Saul was, he was a man that was intent on finding people that believed in Jesus, getting them, putting them in chains, and seeing them in prison, persecuted, stoned. That was his mission. Okay? So here you have Jesus, and you have a guy who sees his sole purpose in life is to chase down anyone that says they believe in this man and to see them persecuted, thrown in jail, killed for that belief. And yet, Jesus saw fit to interrupt that, not just for the purpose of saving the few people that Saul would have found in that city, but for the purpose to change and transform Saul's heart, to give him a new name and a new identity to take that fire, to take that passion that was going one direction and to say we're turning it and we're going to send it in another direction. To not only say, you're welcome, I want you to come and taste and see that God is good. And, and, and Saul, I want you to come and just share a couple meals with some of the believers. No, much more than that. I want to invite you in. I want to transform your life. And not only are you going to be one of them, but you're going to be one of the greatest. You are going to write the majority of the New Testament. You're going to encourage churches around the world. You're going to feed them. You're going to bring correction. You're going to bring guidance. So not only was his grace and forgiveness good enough for Saul, but it was so much more than that and what he wanted to do. If he has that plan for Saul. 
He has the same plan for you and I. So in that, you take that portion of scripture. And I encourage you when we do this, because we're not reading the whole thing, is to go back and read it. Reread it a couple times. But if that's you and you think there's something in your life that is you've messed up on too much or that you did, that you just can't forgive yourself of, I want to tell you that if God could forgive Saul, he can forgive you. Don't believe that lie. Go back and read this and keep rereading it until you believe that Jesus is chasing after you and he's saying, I want you to be mine. All right, verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a, name, a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's, sorry, scales, I need to slow down so I can actually enunciate, fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So the second question, is God's grace and forgiveness too good for those that have hurt you? Looking at this, here's Ananias. He's heard rumors of this terrible man that was searching, that was hunting, that was totally bent on finding people like you and me and throwing us into jail. And then God comes to us and says, I, this person is, is currently, I don't know, sitting around here, but don't know which one to pick on. Let's just go with the easy one. This person is currently in Portland and I want you to go visit this individual and I want you to pray for them because I have chosen them. And you're like, whoa, time out. I know who this person is. I've heard rumors of this person. And he says, yeah, but this is my son, and I want you to go. So do we believe, though, that his grace and his forgiveness is too good? Are there people in this world? Think about someone who's hurt you terribly. Think about a political leader in the, in the world that you think is just harming people, killing people, that has no heart. Think about a political issue 
in a, in a, in a, a, a social issue. It's not even political. It's a human rights issue where certain people, for whatever reason, are being murdered. Do we believe that God's grace and his forgiveness is too good for them? Or could they actually be one of the next Sauls that gets transformed into a Paul? Or do we think what they did is way, what they're currently doing at this very moment is too much? And so therefore, we believe they're a lost cause or we believe they're unworthy of it. So we don't go and, and pray for them. We don't go and encourage them. We don't go because we say, oh, Lord, I've accepted your grace and goodness, but there is no way, no way that person would ever surrender their life to you. Are we like Jonah? And the reason we don't want to go to Nineveh is one, because we don't like the people, but we don't like them so much, we don't even want them to experience the forgiveness of God. So therefore, we do everything we can to not go to where he's leading us because we don't want them to experience his goodness. I believe in this portion of scripture and what was taking place in the early church, God was saying two things. One, a lot of things, but the two that I'm going to draw out. One, that Jesus died for every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. His love is enough for you. And number two, and we got to accept that. But number two is that his love is good enough for everyone else as well. So we cannot be ones that receive it and say, I got it and it's mine. And I will tell you when there's people that are worthy like I am now to also have this gift. But he says, no, spread it out there. I want everybody to get it. I want your enemies to get it. I want those that have hurt you to get it. I want those that you can't forgive to get it. I want everybody to get it because it's my desire to have everyone come unto me. We're going to watch a quick video that um, Bob showed at, at a retreat this, this week with the church planners, the, the, the different um, couples that have been part of City Harvest and have been sent out to different cities to plant churches. We have Aaron and Shannon with us here um, that uh, were on staff here and here for quite a few years and then were sent to Kauai. Um, yes, they were burdened with Kauai and went where it was. There was a lot of persecution. No, you know what? Here's the deal. No matter where you go, you are going to actually have persecution. Um, I mean, they have to wear sunscreen a lot. You know, it's, there's a battle. But while we were there, Pastor Bob showed this video, and I just felt like it's applicable to what we're saying, so let's watch this real quick. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old... Uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, 
because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You'd never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did, Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor angel. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther said most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense. That we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. If the uh, ushers will come up and begin to prepare, we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to the table of the Lord as communion. These are where we, we have juice and we have a cracker, two simple pieces. But we do it to remember what Jesus did for us. What do we get out of that video? What I hope you get out of it is that Jesus is looking at you and he's, at, he's inviting you to come. That your answer to the first question is no, it is not too good. I don't deserve it, but I know 
that it is a gift that he is giving to me and that you embrace it fully. So in a minute, we're going to go into a song. The ushers are going to release you row by row and you're going to come up. You're going to grab the elements. If you're in here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, what does that mean to surrender my life? It means where you say, I know that I am naturally pulled towards my own selfish mindset, my own kingdom. I'm the one wearing the crown. I'm the one on the throne. And I want to surrender and say that I'm tired of doing this on my own. I want to look to the cross and believe that this Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. This Jesus died so that I may live. That his body was broken so my body would be whole. His blood was shed so that I would have life. And today, just as he's talking about in the crucifixion story, where Jesus looks at the man on his side, basically saying in a couple minutes, you're going to be with me in heaven. That today, you have an opportunity to come up, to grab the cracker, to grab the juice. And before you take it, as you go back to your seat, to just say, Jesus, I want to accept this free gift. It feels too good to me. It feels like what I did is too much. But today, as hard as it is, I choose to say I accept it. I choose to say that left unto myself, I make a lot of bad, selfish mistakes. I sin. I miss the mark. I hurt people. I don't bring glory to your name. I work so hard to bring glory to my own name. But I want to make a change. I want to bring glory to your name. If you're in here today, maybe you've been following Jesus, but you struggle to believe that, it is a, that, that, that he can forgive everything you have done. I ask that you get up with a new boldness and you say, I am tired of that lie. I am tired of that whisper. And you walk up with a new force in your feet and you come up and you grab it, making a statement that today, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> Poor little cute girl just, ha! <laughs> making a statement that from now on, you're gonna walk in confidence, not in arrogance with who you are, not because of how many times you read your Bible, not because of the scriptures you understand, not because of how many times you pray for other people, but you walk in the confidence that his sacrifice was enough for you and that he loves you. But also that as you come up today, you ask Holy Spirit to search your heart and to show you if there's anybody that you don't, won't forgive. Is there somebody who has backstabbed you, who has accused you, who has lied about you, who has betrayed you, who has cheated on you, who has lied about you, who has maybe physically harmed someone that maybe you or someone else, whatever it is, or that you see on the news and you're just like, if someone could just kill this person, the world would be a better place. That we switch that story in our head and we say, Jesus, as I come up and receive your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, right now, I want to 
forgive them. And I ask that you would come and you would invade their life. You would come and reveal your love to them. Come and visit them in the same way you visited Saul. So let's not insult these two gifts that we're about to receive, what we're gonna do in remembrance, but let's come up and embrace them for our own life and embrace them in others' lives.